The mentality of sacrifice is not a mentality of sorrow. The life of giving is not an empty life. I'm not writing about sacrifice because I think that moms as a whole are not run down enough, or tired enough, or working hard enough. I write about it because it is the first step to encouragement, to clearing your mind, to being fulfilled. Scripture is very clear in this. If you seek to be full, give. The verse about the first being last and the last being first is not talking about how all the winners will be losers at the end. As though life were a foot race and at the end a little surprise switcheroo happens. The officials declare, actually, this was not about being first. We just wanted to see who was the slowest and give them the prize. Rather, this verse is talking about those who seek their own interests first. Those who put themselves above others will be the last. Those who value themselves the least will be the most valued. There isn't any way to do this other than the hard way. Giving with a lot of enthusiasm for watching yourself in the mirror isn't really giving. It is just watching yourself. Sacrifice isn't really sacrifice if it involves only doing what you want. The point I want to make is that this is not my tricky innovation. It is a principle of Christian living. It is easy for us to mishear and to be offended by this kind of talk because it is not the way the world thinks. Most of us grew up in a culture that despises this kind of thinking, and it may not come naturally to us, but we need to have the language of scripture defined our way of thinking and not truisms from the world. Many of us might hear, sacrifice for your children every day and immediately think, but who is looking out for me? I have needs. Let's consider a sampling of verses from the scripture that pertain to giving ourselves. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your lap. For with the same measure that you measure, it shall be measured to you again. Luke 6:38. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. John 15:12 through 15. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians 2, 3-4 There is that scatters and yet increases, and there is that withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Proverbs eleven twenty four. The more we are steeped in the language of the Bible, the more we will recognize when things from the world are slipping in. When you find yourself getting stuck in a needing mentality, you will look for ways to give. And you won't look for ways to give just because you have to. And it is a terrible Christian duty. It is our duty. But when we faithfully obey as unto the Lord, we are given great joy, great satisfaction, and great fulfillment in the task. When you empty yourself for others, God fills you up, but not so you can suddenly retire with your little packet of joy. God gives to us that we may give. We give, he gives us more, with which to give more. It is not a cycle that will stop as soon as our kids turn 18. This is God's pattern for the life of believers, whether or not they have children. This is how he wants us to be as people, not just as mothers. Excerpt from Fit to Burst by Rachel Jankovic. Welcome back to Bright Hearth. I always give Lexi a hard time because she's always tasked with reading these cold opens in our dim bedroom. And that was a long one, but 
Man, I think so good. I love that book. You yeah, should that pick that one up one. from Canon Press if you haven't already. Fit to Burst. I think it's the subtitle Abundance, Mayhem, and the Joys of Motherhood. That's so, when she only had, I think she only had five kids at that point. Now she's pregnant with what? Number oh, eight? Wow. I think Queen, she's pregnant with number Queen. eight. Queen. Great yeah. book. We read some of, uh, I think, Fit to Burst, and we also read Loving the Little Years pretty regularly. I've been reading every one of their parenting books literally on repeat this year. Yeah. I've read yep. Standing on the Promises multiple times and rereading through hers again. <laughs> Just great insight from people who are on the ground doing it. So make sure you pick that up from Canon Press if you haven't already. We'll, they're, they're not sponsoring the show or anything, but we'll stick a link into the description. So you can grab that little book if you haven't already read it. It's just a great encouragement and a great, uh, you know, for dads, it's, I like reading these books that are by mothers talking about motherhood because they're helpful in understanding some of the challenges that my wife deals with and how I can be an encouragement to her. In this episode of Bright Hearth, we are talking about one of the challenges, one of the opportunities that you have as a homemaker in recovering the lost arts and disciplines of homemaking uh, and the productive Christian household, and that is hospitality in the kitchen. And when we say that, you might actually think we're talking about something else that we are going to take up in, a, in an episode or two related to the kitchen, but we're actually not talking about hospitality in the normal sense of, you know, you use the kitchen to cook food and invite people over and exercise hospitality. We will talk about that. But what we mean in this episode specifically, when we say hospitality in the kitchen, is maintaining an attitude and a spirit of hospitality to your people while you are doing the work that goes on in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And uh, is that an issue that you face, Lexi, ever? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about yes. that. Um, there's lots of people that want to be in the kitchen doing lots of things with me. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be a happy place for them. We specifically built our kitchen to be pretty open so that it was kind of the center for cultural gravity in our home and that means I have to get the grace to include them <laughs> yes when I might not feel up to it we put a 13 foot countertop that looks into the kitchen and that has a you know stools along it where you could it, I had envisioned where the children could sit and color and just look in as you made <laughs> me cinnamon rolls and bacon and steaks and other delicious treats. Turns out they love sitting on the counter. And what they do instead <laughs> is they come in the kitchen and they try to build Legos under Lexi's feet while she's cooking and see how many tripping hazards they can put while she's handling hot pans and pots and skillets. So hospitality in the kitchen, this is one of those issues where as soon as you take up any duty that the Lord has given you, uh, you'll find that some of the challenges that you face there are the same challenges you face everywhere in your life, which is not getting so task-oriented yeah. that you end up making it about the task and not about the people that the task is supposed to serve in the first place. Correct. Yeah, most of, yeah, most of this, the reason it's stressful is you're trying to slow down to find time to teach them to actually do, <laughs> do the skills they're supposed to be helping with. So Yes. So yes. you're already spending a lot of time in the kitchen if you enjoy cooking from scratch. And then in addition to that, you're trying to figure out how to carve out time to teach them skills that aren't necessarily productive in the sense of 
ending in a dinner for everybody. Yeah. So yeah, that can be tricky. So let's talk about some of the challenges. We're going to talk about um, hospitality, kitchen hospitality here, really with three groups, with how it pertains to children, husbands, number two, and then finally other guests in the kitchen. And we can even talk about... We almost might want to do another episode just on, like literally just on hospitality. Oh yeah, we will. We'll we see, definitely yeah. will. Uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll do that. And then at the end, we'll, we'll talk about some... Um, common enemies, weeds you'll have to pull here. So first, let's talk about the flock of stools. Let's talk about the <laughs> the gaggle, the herd of chairs that gallops across the floor anytime uh, you begin to do some work in the kitchen and talk about hospitality to children in the kitchen. So first, Lexi, um, maybe it would be helpful to just sort of frame what is the challenge? What is the challenge when it comes to hospitality in the kitchen with respect to your children? Kids, yeah. Yeah, with the kids and and how how should we be thinking about that? How can we handle it? How can we balance, you know, actually you do have to put food on the table, Mm -hmm. right? And saying no or, you know, how are you thinking about that? What are some challenges and tips that you can give? So (laughs) anybody, which is actually a lot of people at this point, but anybody who has ever cooked with me knows I'm not the (laughs) the most organized. What? (laughs) Um, No. I resolved this year to clean as I go when I'm cooking and I don't know if I made much of a dent in that habit but anyways uh, part of the reason is because I was determined when we had kids that they were going to be in the kitchen with me I didn't care what kind of mess it took Mm. and that 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 really is part like how you have the the windowsills that have been eaten that you are not going to fix I have the messy kitchen because I knew that I was going to be the opposite where I didn't want there to be any mess. I didn't want there to be flour anywhere, all that. So I think it's important for you to settle in your heart. Like really what is more important for, for us and we hope for other Christians, we're trying to pass down these skills to both our sons and our daughters. And to be honest, I want them to have a realistic picture of home cooked food because I don't, I think a lot of us don't have a realistic picture of how much work it takes. Yeah. You know, and, and some of that unrealism mm-hmm. is connected to our digital lives and the way yeah. that we, the way that media shapes our expectations, I think, around what it looks like to make a glorious feast for people. It's like usually what you see is this perfectly manicured table. Nobody's pulling on the tablecloth. Yeah. Nobody's spilling the flour. It's just a perfect meal laid out. Or like there's shiplap everywhere. <laughs> kitchens where all the sous chefs are quietly doing their, yeah. their duties, not talking to anybody. Yeah. It's all stainless steel, beautiful, wiped down. Mm-hmm. Like that's also not really. this is this is a challenge for my personality. Yeah, you're you're much more I if I'm just suis français. I'm French, so uh, I'm not I'm not really from France. But this but. weird thing happens that like when you go in the kitchen to cook, everyone just naturally leaves you alone. If I'm it's in the different, kitchen, yeah, you're that's you're not the how mother, you're the vine, you're the fruitful yeah, no, vine. I get it. I'm not, are, but uh, when I'm in bad. the kitchen, I believe in a, in a, something called mise en place, which means yes, putting yes. in place in French, <laughs> and it is this French cooking ideal. Where before you begin, you've you know put all your pre-measured ingredients into little cups, 
and you're like ready to go. I'm just you're thinking of all go. the extra dishes you're creating. <laughs> and and then, but here's the thing, dear listener. I'm a do the dishes as you go kind of guy. Wipe it down. We should really film an in the kitchen when you and I are both trying we to should, cook in the kitchen. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, again, this is put file this under your like we sin regularly <laughs> and have to deal with like you just you. There's something okay, about the flesh stop. that there's something about the flesh <laughs> that is brought to the surface by. I think what it is is when you know what you're trying to accomplish is important and it's not like a meaningless thing. It's not just recreation. You know, like I'm trying to feed these people. I'm trying to serve them. And yet they are seeming to try to be get in the way and frustrate you're actually serving them. I think that's part of the temptation of not being hospitable to children in the kitchen, you know, because they're like it can almost seem like they're trying to frustrate you in serving them. Just to be clear, we don't actually fight in the kitchen. No, we don't rarely. fight in the kitchen. <laughs> no, we don't. But it's a good hour. It's just, I think like any place where you're doing duties, it's like a a, a place where temptation is always going to be Yeah, That's you know, true. close to the surface. Close to the surface. Because you're doing real work there. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, you're not lounging or recreating. It, it, sin is close to the surface when you're working hard. Yeah, and I, there are times where I have delinea- delineated with the kids. Like, I, I do invite them in regularly to help with me. But if I am in a time crunch, I just try to politely say, you know, typically mommy likes you here with me, but right now I just need to be able to do all the pouring, all the mixing. Yeah, You know, we're on a time crunch. And so I I feel like they know that I really do let them help a lot. Yeah. Um, And so because of that, when mommy really says no, they know it's for real. So yeah, they know you're not just, you know, being rude or withholding. And you know, I also try to say like, if they want to cook something like Daphne, oh man, she has become a little, did you see her the, cleaning the sink tonight oh, the after dishes. you cleaned the she sink? She does the dishes. <laughs> Dear listeners, she does the dishes by climbing onto the counter, <laughs> kneeling over the sink. And she does a decent, like yeah, I'm, I'm not, Chris, she actually, she's, it's a good instinct. Yeah, we want to encourage her in it. She's been doing She'll it a lot. She'll pile the the dry dishes on the little drying towel on mm-hmm. one side. And sometimes I, I, I'm like, that is a Mount Everest. That is she, she probably does dishes for like an hour during the day. And even that is she an example it. of like, I'm not going to freak out about the water. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not going to freak out about the water going down the drain, not being used efficiently. And I'm not going to freak out about the water on the counter. I think sometimes, I don't know, just like feed your children's, no pun intended, feed their creativity in the kitchen. So yeah. that they're not always like if if I am always stressed at dinner time and I can't ever have them help. What about nine thirty in the morning when they say, "Hey, can we make chocolate cookies? Do you have time then?" Like, yeah. like be willing to say yes to their their food projects, um, and even having just like some kid friendly tools, yeah, and books. I know when Ari first learned how to read, I got him the. I think it's Molly Katzen. It's the gal that wrote Moosewood Cookbook. I I think it's Molly Katzen. She has two cookbooks for kids, and it's just perfect because it's written simple enough that they can actually understand, and they're real recipes with real food. So our son has been able to make some recipes out of there for several years now, and now Ira's starting to go through it. And um, Ari, for Christmas this last year, he's really into science, and so America's Test Kitchen has like a – a science cookbook that he got that's like funky foods and stuff. So um, just think about ways to like build their, their independence, but that's age appropriate. And that also makes it so you still have to, you know, you have to be helping them make all of this happen. 
Yeah, is it pretend soup and other real recipes yeah. and in the Moosewood cookbook? Yeah, and I Molly this, Katzen. What is that one? Um, salad. Yeah, Molly Katzen's recipe salad. So K A T Z E N is the yeah. author's last name. Those are fun because they're they're designed so that a new reader mm-hmm. and also a kid who doesn't have like knife skills can go in the kitchen and actually prepare like these a lemonade recipe yeah. and yeah. and man Ari loved that. I yeah, mean, he, he would he just really did. he loves cooking still. And and the problem is if you're not practicing kitchen hospitality towards your children, you will view that as a nuisance instead of as a blessing where you're saying like teaching them. Wow, I have children that actually are interested in this very important mm-hmm. work of feeding people and uh would you, like what's the end goal we're trying to make with our children? Well, we're trying to grow them into men and women who know how to navigate a kitchen. Yeah. Who, you know, where our daughters are interested and have cultivated skills by the time they leave our home. I hope our daughters yeah. are, you know, very capable cooks. And I hope our our sons grow up and they know how to make some staple dishes and they know how to help in the kitchen and, yeah. you know, sharpen knives. And and they're, I'm fine with them doing, like, the boys do not have to stand in the kitchen all day and cook with me. But they're both very interested. They want to. They yeah. want to be. But I also understand there will become a time when they probably won't want to. And that's, oh, that's true. That's OK. But I mean, I've talked to the boys about how, you know, if when you get married and your wife's on bed rest. I mean, when I was on you bed rest, you were cooking all the time. I can't cook a lot of things, but I yeah. can. But what I can cook, I can cook well enough that I'm not ashamed to put it in front of my wife. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is if a dad is cooking for the family, it's probably because mom is sick. And if mom is sick, you don't necessarily want to be relying on Chick-fil-A all the time. Yeah. Like you're caring for a sick person at that point. So, And, and some um, some of our sons, you know, and I don't just mean ours, but like listeners, some of our sons in the church are going to grow up to be chefs. They're yeah. going to grow up to start yeah, food exactly. businesses. Exactly. And the business of feeding people it certainly is a, a, an art and discipline of homemaking, and it is very much something that ought to be in the wheelhouse of our daughters as they grow mm-hmm. in preparation for um, being homemakers, but our sons as well. I mean, some of the, the greatest cooks and chefs in the world are men who are cooking for hundreds and thousands of people, and I think so these too, skills are very important universally. When we as a family started recovering like more food production at home between meat and vegetables and long-term preservation, you had to start helping me more Yeah, because it just is more physically and manually intensive than something else. Yeah. So yeah, I think it, I think the only reason we think it's weird that men aren't in the kitchen as much is because we can rely on a factory to preserve it all for us, you know? Right. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So with your children, I think some high level points that we'd want, to communicate here would be, you know, when you hear the flock of chairs, and if you don't know what I mean, let me explain what I'm what I'm <laughs> describing here. You start a cooking project, you know, Lexi gets the pans out, start, okay, we're, dinner preparations are underway. In our house, and, in, and we've heard this in many other houses, the, the immediate sound you hear is the sound of dining table <laughs> chairs and bar stool stools grinding and squeaking their way across the floor mm. as little two to four four foot tall people push and drag them with all of their might across the house so that they can set it up next to mom, climb up on top of it and be at counter level and be involved. Yep. And that sound, it won't be there one day. (laughs) I know. And that's, that's the thing is like, I do remember how much it, it used to annoy me. And now, man, I look at, I just look at our kids in the kitchen. I hear them 
fussing about and make not fussing, but I mean like, and it just gives me such joy to see. It gives me joy when Daphne can tell you yes. what a roux is and how one goes about How does one it? prepare a roux? <laughs> Why are they important? You know, and when I see little Winnie, like tonight, Lexi actually put this on our Bryhearth Instagram live, I think, but, um, or whatever those things are, stories. I don't manage our Instagram, so I don't know how they work. But I'm trying to do the do the dishes. Lexi's cleaning up the table after dinner, and little Winnie has just mastered. She's gone from the Crawling, belly crawl yeah. to the hands and knees crawl, which is like 50 times faster. She loves when the dishwasher door is open <laughs> to come and like put her whole weight on the door. And as the son of a of of engineer of an engineer, I know that shock and vibration are the enemies of mechanical systems. So. <laughs> I'm like, this hinge is probably not weighted, rated for her weight. It's going to break. I'm going to have to replace it. It's going to be $600. Everything is $600 when it breaks, by the way, to $2,000. So what I do is as soon as she gets to the door, I pick her up. I walk her to the other end of the house, and I just set her down. And then I hustle back to the sink. We started all over And again. see how many dishes I can do before <laughs> she gets back to the door. Well, and that's a good – okay, right there. That's a perfect example of when you give a child a no – you need to find them a yes. Exactly. And you're not getting frustrated. You're not sitting there like kicking at her with your foot. Winnie, why can't you just get out of here? You're saying, okay, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do, but I'm going to figure out a way to include her in a fun way. Yes. You are the responsible adult. It is literally your job to figure that out. It's not your job to be fussing there. Yeah. So you're figuring it out and you're being mature about it and you're still having fun with your kid. And as they grow, Winnie's one, you know, as they grow when little Cyril's in his twos, you know, when he starts doing something that I think, you know, maybe it's not just like you're going to hurt the dishwasher. You're actually, you can't play with knives. <laughs> I'm going to tell him sternly, no, you may not do that. And we're going to discipline him and make sure he obeys mommy and daddy. But we're going to try to be with the grain as we include, like, you're, I think what you're saying is you don't want it to be a, a to, to steal Doug Wilson's phrase, you don't want it to be a garden of no. It, the Garden of Eden is a garden of yes with one no. And so we're trying to give our children... Uh, hospitality means understanding their nature, yeah. stooping down, condescending to their level, thinking, what would give me joy as a two or three or four or five-year-old boy or yeah. girl when mommy's cooking in the kitchen and I want to be involved? And it's not a scolding yeah. and a, you get out of here, you leave me alone. Mommy's doing important work. I got to feed you. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the problem is most people are not thinking what would give them joy. They're just thinking, this is too hard, so I'll do it some other time when they're in bed. Yep. And then what ends up happening is like they're so tired because they're spending all of what could be their free time where they're like growing and learning a new skill. They're just spending it catching up perpetually because they refuse to get creative and get the grace and the wisdom for including their kids just in regular life. Yes. Yes, indeed. So children, why don't we include them with categories of discipline still and categories of nope, mommy needs to get this done. Yeah, uh, I can't have help to this time. Uh, next time, we'll <laughs> hopefully you'll be able to lick the batter and lick the not the batter, lick the whisk. <laughs> well, sometimes the batter, dip a finger in, give a taste, and sometimes it's no. And our children will learn to navigate that more easily if we are giving them a yes. We're generous, yeah. If we're generous with our time, a lot of this as well. I think Lexi is that this can just be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of homemakers is that what we're talking about to do it well actually requires discipline, forethought. You can't be sluggard. Mm. You have to be, 
Because if you're constantly frantic and behind and mm-hmm. oh, you're always going to be short point. with people because you're always going to be playing catch up. You'll that's never true. have time. I didn't think about it like so that. So talk about that. Like I think organization is mm-hmm. we're going to talk more about this in in like more granular level yeah uh later mm-hmm. not in this show but later so in, in the, the season office. yeah but there is this i think it's related is that you mm. you just will this is true in pastoral ministry this is true everywhere you will have a hard time being kind mm-hmm. and being christ-like and bearing the fruits of the spirit if because you are lazy you're always behind. Yeah, and, and not to say that being more organized will make your life easier or less busy because that's certainly not true. You're just going to be more prepared for the balls that are being thrown at you. That's yeah. the only difference. It's not going to necessarily make anything easy. So, uh, yeah, like for me, when it comes to this, I every night have an index card that I fill out for the next day. And so people use it really differently. But for me, because I do always want to stay on top of food and because I started this when we first started homeschooling and it would stress me out if I didn't know what dinner was at the end of a homeschool day. Um, every night, the night before I just pick breakfast, lunch and dinner. And part of it, because I do prepare food traditionally a lot, it usually means I'm needing to get a lot of things soaked the night before or breads made the night before so they can ferment. And that really does help I feel like a traditional style of cooking helps you stay more prepared. Yeah, because it's um, slow. A lot yeah, of it's slower. But the cool thing about that is that when I wake up in the morning, I know which of my cooking tasks I can give to who based on their skill level. Or I know already, like, what did we have tonight? Oh, yeah, we had meatballs. We had meatballs tonight for dinner. So Daphne knew that at some point she could help me mix up the meat. And I, yeah. I, it wasn't like stressful. I wasn't doing that at five o'clock. I literally did that probably at nine o'clock this morning. Yeah. And she knew that we were freezing part of the batch and that we were going to cook part of the batch for dinner. And then that later we were going to saute some cabbage. So I, yeah, I do think it's, it can be more helpful to actually have a game plan the day before. And like the boys, they're going to go to bed here soon. Both of the boys know how to get oatmeal ready for the next morning and to put a little apple cider vinegar in there. And so, um, yeah, just you, you being prepared to serve others, it just makes everything a little bit easier and more fulfilling for you because you can be more present and you're not distracted. Yeah. When you organize, you know, from you start at the most important and work your way down. When you organize your attitude, as Misty mm-hmm. Winkler says, and then you organize your uh, priorities, your tasks, you organize uh, the duties that you have before you ahead of time. Man, it just makes it so much easier to not sin it up or not be behind and uh, end up failing at the duties that you have before you. So, all right. So that is hospitality in the kitchen towards children, which is going to be a big part. I mean, that's the day-to-day for many of you listening. All day. That's the all-day thing. (laughs) So the next category, like we said at the beginning, is hospitality in the kitchen towards husbands. This is obviously going to be a little bit different because your husband is not dragging a stool into the kitchen <laughs> demanding to whisk the, you know, the batter or like he's not, "Ooh, can I can I help make the sauce?" Maybe your husband likes likes to cook and be involved, but it's going to be different. What we're talking about here is more making sure that the way that the ki- the duties in the kitchen are are unfolding and the way that you're cooking for people is that you are Loving your husband, knowing your husband. So what are some of the issues here, Lexi, related to hospitality in the kitchen? Do you mean like for husbands? Pitfalls? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, just what are some issues related to it? Like, how, what are you thinking about on this category? What are some things that you try to do? To, and I guess it's towards me, to be hospitable towards me. I mean, I think the main thing is understanding what kind of food men like. And I'm sure there's yeah. someone out there that's going to be like, well, my husband loves spinach salads. Okay, that's weird. That's, if that's the case, that's weird. <laughs> great, make him spinach salads to the glory yes. of God. <laughs> but most men aren't like that. So... And just something I think most women need to be mindful is most, we've already talked about this before, but most diet fads out there are not necessarily mindful of men. They're, they're not healthy for men and they're not healthy for women in some ways. So yeah. um, if you are not cooking food that your husband likes on a regular basis, you're probably caught up in some sort of a temptation or sin, like you've already said, Brian, either because yeah. you're being fearful, you're being controlling, like there's there's a whole lot of reasons. Mm. But like get out your cookbooks. Ask him what his favorites are. Get yeah. those ones he doesn't like off of there. I've done this two different times in our marriage. The first time I did it was at an older lady's recommendation. I think it was like our second year of marriage and she's like, "Well, just figure out what he really likes." And that's really helpful. And maybe like as you go about um increasing your cooking skills like your husband understands hey i'm trying to find food you actually like they're not all going to be winners they're not all going to be out of the ballpark but i i am actually cooking for you i'm trying to cook for you like he he is your audience essentially yeah so if you're not pleasing him that's kind of lame for you because it means you're not doing your job very well i mean sure you might be super duper healthy but you're not doing your job well yeah you have to i think as and this pertains to children as well but it's kind of one of the common pitfalls, I think, mm -hmm. for uh, wives, homemaking, cooking in the kitchen, is just to start to only factor in the single variable of, like, the health of the food. Yeah. And, quote, unquote. Right. Health. Quote. And we, we have more to say on that, I think, in the kitchen. Before we leave this, we're going to be in the kitchen for a few episodes. So we'll, we'll talk more about, quote, unquote, health food, right? But um, the temptation is... I'm going to think about the health of my family just in terms of calories and nutrient density. And, and whether it's like you're on some fad like keto or you're like on some, you know, so a vegan diet or, or even something good like nourishing traditions. Mm -hmm. And let's say your husband and your children love some dish that you may used to make before you discovered nourishing traditions <laughs> and it doesn't fit in the nourishing traditions playbook and they're still like we loved it mom when you made the hamburger helper and you're like well like oh, i've gosh. made a nourishing traditions uh, alternative hamburger helper and they're like it's not good mom it's not good make us the og put the velveta in it Put the, oh, you know, uh, I, I know, see, it hurts her. But no, you didn't like the Velveeta either. I don't really I've like Velveeta. I've it once and it was disgusting. Yeah, I actually like nourishing traditions, but I'm trying to pick something realistic. I know, I understand what you're you saying. Know, I would probably like, say more like when dad wants to take kids out for donuts. Exactly. Good <laughs> good example. And and mom's not, hopefully moms, hopefully homemakers, you don't pitch a fit and either be passive aggressive and say, fine, let's go get donuts. And then you're just going to be a storm cloud yeah. in the donut shop. Yeah. And you're, do you want a donut, babe? No, I do not want a donut. Do you know what the oils that are used to fry donuts? Oh, my <laughs> word. Took 15 years off of your life. Or, okay, you're going to die. And he's, he's like, well, maybe I will to get away from the rain cloud here. I could eat donuts <laughs> and die. Like, that would get me out of this quicker. Go to heaven. 
<laughs> you don't want to make so a true. life that your husband so or your children or anybody is trying to die to escape from. <laughs> I think is the point. Something I have done, though, which I think is a totally valid option while you're still going to Krispy Kreme, mm -hmm. you better be working on getting really good at making donuts at home then. Yeah, then you go, oh, maybe I can make some good donuts. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. Like, you know, so anyways. It's more about the, the attitude funny. like I will I think serve. you're funny. Thanks, babe. <laughs> and and let me let me give you an, an illustration of like a real challenge here that um, and Lexi's done. A, she First of all, Lexi's done a great job of I regularly get handed cookbooks and look through them. And I know if there's no picture on the recipe, I don't even care about it. But <laughs> I look through the ones with pictures like a child and I picked, I just say, I want you to make page 72, 63 and whatever, 104. And she does. And if I say, I don't like a meal, she tried, she basically doesn't make it, you know? And we've had this wrinkle where in 2020, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I got, the illness that ground the world to the halt to a halt and you know one of the symptoms was losing taste and smell and pe that hit people differently well one of the longer term symptoms that affects a certain percentage of people who've had covid is called parosmia and it's it was more rare before covid it was a thing with some other illnesses and it's basically brain damage it's like yeah. The, the virus has attacked some part of your brain or your your sense of smell and taste in that system, and it's kind of wreaked havoc on it. Mm -hmm. And when I first started looking into it and finally found a name for it, um, it was like it can take six weeks to nine months. Well, guys, it's been almost... It's been over a year now. It's, it's been, been well like a over year a year. and a half, probably. 18 months, at least. Since I've had this parosmia that has made certain things smell absolutely horrible to me permanently things that i used to love i like peanut butter as an example peanut butter tastes absolutely disgusting to me now and i used to be able to sit down and eat spoonfuls of it mm. chocolate tastes horrible to me for the most part so here i am meat, a decade a lot of into meat. marriage and my husband likes maybe less than 20 percent of what i cook <laughs> it's very frustrating to it both of us. It was very discouraging at first, especially when you were actually physically sick a lot of the times from it. It would make you physically very sick. Yeah. It's not that bad anymore. But um, so, yeah, I've had to re... It's been humbling. I've had to yeah. relearn to cook. <laughs> and it's not her. Like, this was what was so frustrating about it is that Lexi would make these beautiful meals that I know I liked. Yeah, it was really weird. That we all loved. And I love, like, not just thought were good, but like, I loved some of these meals. And now, I mean, they make me sick to eat. <laughs> and it's, it's so demoralizing. So okay. I think we've both had to try, like, I've had to, try to not fuss which is it's a temptation like it sounds silly but food is such a big part of life that yeah. when all of a sudden you know it's hard to actually and and the things that tasted the most normal to me unfortunately are like white flour and sugar mm -hmm. so we've had to work to to like figure out what to eat but lexi's yeah. been a champ she's yeah, always trying to make me food out stuff that i like helpful for you and different yeah anyways not to keep going and, on about but this. it's a real challenge but like we, you're, yeah you're we are trying this. to figure this out still even still you know if you're in and nobody should be you know irascibly picky nobody no. should be like a turd about it husbands genuinely should not be like food critics in the home where they're like always impossible to please i give this two stars whatever that's 
you should not be like that. It's no excuse to sin. Yeah. I'm just talking about in the course of nor- you know normal husband, normal Christian husband, normal normal Christian wife. It is a genuine pitfall sometimes mm-hmm. for um, a, a wife to struggle with hospitality towards her husband because of some ideal yeah. that she's pursuing where she ends up, <laughs> you know the proverb that says it'd be better to live yeah. on the corner of your roof than with a quarrelsome woman, mm-hmm. or it's better a better a feast of herbs with mm-hmm. laughter than a you know feast with, with uh, bitterness. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things, like... It's hard to swallow sometimes it, when you care deeply about good things like food quality and ingredients and nutrition. When you're like your kids just want, and your husband just really deeply wants some dish that you don't want to prepare because yeah. of your ideals. I think what could be helpful for some wives too when I think about this is do you have rhythms of feasting and fasting? Uh, Father Capon in his book talks about how the, the Bible kind of makes this expectation that Christians will be both feasting and fasting. And so he's not yeah. he's not saying like you need to be fasting 6 days a week. More of what he means is we have plain food sometimes and then we have feasting food sometimes. Yeah. And so what can be helpful there's there's two different things that I have found to be helpful is that during the week when we are busy I can cut myself some slack in having more plain food if I need to. Yeah. Like tonight was really simple, probably not everyone's favorite but our bellies were filled. I would not serve yeah. that on a Sabbath, but because I am like maintaining the lower energy meals at different parts of the week, then when I want to have the extra energy, the extra creativity, maybe go a little crazy with some of the food that you guys like that I wouldn't normally cook. I will do that at other times. Yeah. But if you, if you can't even, if you can't even eat a white flour cake on Sunday and give thanks to the Lord, you are in sin most likely. <laughs> So yeah, that, yeah. that's what I mean is, so I don't know, maybe start recovering some of these uh, rhythms of food life. Yeah, even. feasting and fasting and special food and daily food. And they're going to be different and just cultivating over all of it. Yeah. Uh, thankfulness. Yeah, thank Thank you, Lord, for this food. Thanking God for, we pray regularly at the dinner table that God would give us thankful hearts for his many blessings to us. Cause it's, there's 10 million ways that God has blessed us. That would be easy to be anesthetized to yeah. by their familiarity. And they're miraculous. I mean, like the fact that God made a world with bread in it is amazing. And so may we be thankful for that. So husbands, I think uh, you get what we're talking about there. And also I would, I would just add one more thing to that. Like, you know, again, dinner time is hectic. Your husband might be getting home from work at dinner time. Taking the 10 seconds to smile at him when he gets in the door, to greet him kindly, to say, how are you doing? And not to be so task-oriented that you're like, I got to get dinner done. Do you know how the kids have been crazy? They're under my feet. you know. But just, again, the, the people are what the mm-hmm. house is for. So make sure that, again, Misty Winkler's phrase is so, <laughs> so helpful. Organize your attitude. Organize your attitude and keep those priorities in order. Yeah, I was actually reading my old vocation statements to the gals at my Simply Convivial group last month, and it was kind of it was kind of funny because the habit I had been working on whenever I wrote this a couple years ago was not giving you any bad reports until after dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. I think those that's that's a good thing for some people. That's a great think thing about. to think about. I love that. Yeah, no, that's good. So last last category here in hospitality in the kitchen is guests. And 
specifically, I'll give you an example. We we sometimes have um, we'll invite young ladies over who, you know, maybe unmarried or um, just in different stages of mm-hmm. life, or even down to like we've had teenage girls mm-hmm. who have come alongside and helped Lexi. I think this is an important aspect of hospitality in the kitchen is um, inviting other women in particularly mm. to learn skills together mm-hmm. and oh. opening your kitchen for I didn't that. know that's what you meant when you said this. Okay, that <laughs> that's makes That's what more I had sense. in mind. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. Because, I mean, it's... There are some fears or some pride, I think, that can keep women from doing that. Well, first of all, it's costly. Mm-hmm. Like having other people's in interruption and it's mm-hmm. it can be like seen as a cost mm-hmm. so i think it's important to say think about your church who could you invite especially yeah. you married ladies with kids and are there any teenage girls that you could invite because it's special for them to go out of their mm-hmm. house come over be yeah. invited in hey do you want to learn how to break bet break bake bread mm-hmm. do you want to learn how to preserve pressure can or some mm-hmm. And you could be giving a gift to a young lady that she'll carry into her marriage and the rest of her life and that mm-hmm. will end up yeah. feeding the immortal souls yeah. of her, her family. Her getting a small picture of your haphazard, cheerful family. Yeah, the non-Instagram ability of it. Might just be what makes her want to have more kids. You know, like that. I know that's what it was for me when I think about why did I want to be a homemaker and why did I ha- want to have so many kids. It's It's because I remember seeing... I literally can remember seeing my parents' friends' houses that were messy, but filled with happy running around children. It wasn't It wasn't because it was like some Martha Stewart home. It was yeah. just normal, happy mess. And I loved that. And I wanted that. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, just don't let that be a hindrance. Like, there's laundry, there's fingerprints on the wall. Um, I do have a, I do feel like I have a special place in my heart for singles, though. Yeah. I feel like um, we we totally get it wrong in the church when we call them singles <laughs> because yeah. it's not true. They they are they should be a part of households. And so that's kind of something that we have just worked to recover in different ways is how can we invite the single gals into our family life? Like in our literally our regular family life. Literally. <laughs> like I don't know. We have a gal that comes over. She's come over for months now, once a week, once a week, if not more. And I'm not kidding you when I say she does whatever I'm doing. If yeah. I'm sitting in the grass looking through cookbooks with my kids, that's what she's doing. If I'm baking birthday cakes and throwing a party, that's what she's doing. Um, and so it's weird because at first I kind of thought like, oh, this will be so productive, I guess. And what I have found out instead is that there's there's a unique sort of morale that is there. I don't yeah. know necessarily if we're more productive, but I don't really care anymore because I care about her as a person. My kids care about her. I care about her feeling like she's a part of a family. And that means I have to be okay with also some of the boring stuff that sh- that I think I was maybe embarrassed to invite her in on before. Yeah, like most people aren't coming in and going, oh, entertain me. I think that's what we feel. We feel this pressure like you have to entertain somebody. Well, just invite them into what you're doing. Yeah. You're not like having to come up with special activities. And I think too, like you, I think most people actually do have that expectation though. Some people definitely do. entertainment. And so you have to be willing to teach them like, no, this is different. This is like, 
this is sweeping and cleaning up and we're preparing the next meal and this person needs a bath. And, and that's what, that's what a lot of hospitality used to be because we were so reliant upon one another to be working together. And so, um, yeah, so just think about like, and don't just say, okay, we're going to invite them for, for Sunday. Like how can you invite them over on a regular basis yeah. for all sorts of things. It's it's just going to be a different sort of hospitality. Yeah, and then your kitchen. So when we say hospitality in the kitchen, there's the hospitality of the dining table where you're inviting somebody over to eat and hang out and play chess and whatever, you know. And then there's the hospitality of the kitchen, and this is similar to I'd put this in the same category as like what our sons are going to be doing with um Ben Garrett at Boniface Woodworking this summer where they're going into his kitchen. I mean, they're going into his wood shop, they're going to be helping him and learning some skills but literally i mean what he's going to be having these young guys do is hey sweep the sawdust go clean the tool yeah go learn some and it's it's like you're you're inviting somebody into your place of productivity yeah and inviting them to to learn and to Mm -hmm. help and to participate and there's a kind of give and take hospitality yeah that you have to have a category for yeah if we are to hand down these skills not just from mother to daughter Mm -hmm. but also within the community of the church yeah this is what titus 2 is yeah when paul tells titus to you know in in the churches that titus is going to plant on this island of crete that they are to he's to teach the older women to teach the younger women to be oiko despots workers at home literally or household managers and uh, to be lovers of their husbands and children and this is where that happens Mm -hmm. especially when you have generations that didn't have three or four generations of um, Titus two happening. Mm-hmm. Even where you did, though, there's a richness. You know, not every... There's no two families that have the exact same set of skills and the exact same no. repertoire. So if you bring in this cross-pollination in kitchen hospitality, the, the overall community is enriched. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is this has happened on multiple occasions, not just with Sarah, but because we are all interested in different things, not only am I, are they learning from me, but I'm learning so much from them too, because they're just interested in a slightly different thing. And so it like, I don't even like terming it as like a loss cost benefit. Cause it's not, it's not even that it's just, it's no. just like the organic life of giving to one another. Yes. You suddenly see like the opener that we it's did. It's exactly like what Rachel Jankovic was talking about in the you cold open. You suddenly realize that you're more filled up having given. <laughs> it's, yeah. I don't, it's weird. And when you're looking at before you do the giving and you're thinking about doing the giving, you're like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want the people to come over. I don't want to do this. <laughs> oh, it's going to be so hard. And then the people come over and by the time they leave, nine out of ten times, you're energized. Yeah, yeah. You are helped by their company. You're cheerful. You're glad that they were there. In our culture, we're so good at isolating and watching Netflix that mm-hmm. we've kind of lost some of this. Um, we've kind of lost some of this. So before we before we round out this episode, let's just briefly talk about, we've mentioned a few, but some of the enemies of hospitality. I mentioned um, of this kind of hospitality. I mentioned sluggishness, like that laziness that's not this is not organized ahead of time, and so you're always playing catch-up. There's always a fire alarm going off, and it's 10 minutes to dinner, and you haven't thought about it. Like There's a sluggishness that actually can make, then adds, it makes it easier to sin in being inhospitable because you're out of time. 
Yeah. You don't have time to be patient, you feel like. <laughs> so what are some other common weeds that need to be pulled in this area? Selfishness. I think that's similar to not wanting to give yourself. You're trying to reserve part of your resources or, you know, whatever. Yeah, hold yourself back. Which I think pride is probably the same thing here too. Yeah, yeah. Um, pride can look different. Pride can either look like you want to be so authentic that you never want to put the laundry away for guests because you just want them to see it all hanging out. We're authentic. Of we don't clean the toilets. Loving your guests <laughs> well by, again, being prepared yes. and cleaning your toilets. And not yeah. life is perfect. My house is not perfect by any means. Our kids ate the windowsills. <laughs> I mean, come on. They ate the windowsills. But I'm going to make a t-shirt of that. There can be pride on the other <laughs> side, too, where it's it's like you're so, you have such high standards that you can only invite someone over once in that literal blue moon <laughs> yeah yeah so purity spiraling too you know we've talked about this a lot with having such high like food or health standards that you won't compromise or like you only make i don't know brown whole wheat dry dinner rolls even when the guests come yeah. over you won't like there, I don't there's know. that instagram account of that girl that lady who pretend she does like skits about crunchy mom the crunchy oh yeah i don't know she's what it's always called. like it's really funny oh no this the other mom's coming over she's even crunchier than me oh is that candle organic oh <laughs> uh it, oh they were out of my favorite lavender oil based soap i better put away the dawn dish soap before she gets here which again it's fine like if you're genuinely interested and you love that stuff that whatever we're pro standards have at it yeah, yeah totally yeah. have at totally it pro standards. just don't let it get in the way of breaking fellowship pro standards pro excellence <clears throat> pro understanding health pro pro rejecting big pharma big big uh big agriculture big government yeah. but anti-sin yes there you go. That's <laughs> i think is the it. way of putting it anti-sin um, and do not don't you dare break fellowship with normie yeah. people in your church <laughs> who come over for well, dinner okay. and they bring the dinner rolls they got at walmart and don't look down on them and be like um and the, are the those, thing is uh, if they see you loving what you're doing and being interested in it and still being willing to love them and cheerful, they're gonna yeah. be like Hey, why do you like that? Oh, more? That's interesting. Tell hey, me more about that. Hey, can you tell that. me about that? But but if you're gonna be stingy and rude and impatient, they're not gonna care if you yes. made yummy einkorn waffles for dessert with raw no. cream, whipped cream. They're gonna be like, we they're don't. Not gonna care. They're gonna they be. They like, were rude. We, we don't want to be here anyways. She was a rude einkorn waffle maker. <laughs> she was an, she was anxious and yeah. harried and angry. She was an angry elf. <laughs> oh, yeah i think that that's one of them i mean we just to shotgun a few out here i mean there's if you're just easily offended you should be cultivating being hard to offend is a good skill uh it's a spiritual yeah, discipline if you have people in your home regularly yeah there's yeah. gonna be lots of occasion or children in your kitchen <laughs> yep 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 uh, um things like you know, sometimes family quirks play in where you're. I think this happens a lot with newly newly married couples. I've I've seen this in counseling and, um, where you'll have two family cultures coming together, and he's like, "No, on Thanksgiving we eat the canned cranberry sauce that mm -hmm. has the shape of the can. That's what we eat." And the mom comes from a or the wife comes from a different culture, so there's some family quirks sometimes that can that can be sand in the gearbox of, uh, kitchen hospitality. These are just opportunities, though, to either walk in the spirit and not gratify yeah. the desires of the flesh or to be selfish and rude and, and to be a jerk. And again, like figure out how to be hard to offend, how to serve one another, and things will go smoothly whether the dinner burns or not. Like that's yeah. 
That's the reality. So thanks for listening to this episode of Bright Hearth. If you haven't already, um, first of all, thank you. We just passed 100 patrons on Patreon, um, I think today, as we record, maybe an hour before we started recording. And, uh, you know, that's 100 people chipping in, uh, even, even if it's just a cost of a cup of coffee at Starbucks every month to help us make this show possible. That is a huge help to us as we, you know, uh, have costs associated with making the show, including time. And so we appreciate that. And one of the benefits, well, there's two benefits that we give away that I highlight here on our Patreon channel, which is at patreon.com slash bright hearth. Um, we give a feed the patriarchy mug to all of our $10 and up patrons. And then also for any patron of any tier, we put out a weekly patron exclusive show that we typically record right after we record the main show and we do book lists and things like that. But this week, when this episode comes out, we actually have a special um, episode of In the Kitchen, that patron exclusive show that I recorded with my good friend Eric Kahn uh, on Meatscapades 2022, <laughs> which was a great journey that Dan and Eric and I undertook in a rented airport model Ford Transit van to drive in Nebraska, meet a brother who has um, a butchery shop, a butcher shop, and buy literally many cows and pigs worth of meat and bring it back here to Utah. And on the road there, we, we brought along a headset recording rig and we recorded an episode just for our Bright Hearth patrons about uh, hormone health, testosterone, things like that. And honestly, it was a fascinating conversation. Eric knows a lot about this subject. And we're putting that out today on our uh, patron. I just completely lost my mind for a second there. On our patron channel uh, in the episode of In the Kitchen. So you can join and you gain access to that episode as well as all of our back episodes. There's and 10 or 11 of them at this point. Now that you're getting a different work laptop and I will have a laptop again, I've been telling people that I will finally be able to put together some annotated bibliographies because I'll yeah. have a laptop. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be putting together annotated More bibliographies and stuff now. on different subjects that we put out just through our Patreon channel there. We answer questions, all kinds of stuff uh, there, and uh, we appreciate that. Thank you. This episode was made possible by those patrons. Jump on board there and be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. But God bless you. May the Lord shine on your home Bring it to fruitfulness uh, from your attitude on outward this week. <laughs>